passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special UFC 249 preview show. I'm John Pollock, joined by Phil Chertok, a man that, well, we've had no UFC to talk about for a long period of time. That changes this Saturday. Phil, how are you? I'm very good, John. Uh, thank you for having me. What's the latest and greatest in the world of Phil? How is uh, day-to-day life going? Day-to-day life is going pretty good. Uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to work from home. And so that's uh, been continuing through uh, this isolation period. Um, I've also been pretty good at uh, keeping up with some other projects. Um, as the post community will know, I've hosted a few game nights. Um, as some other listeners might know, uh, I've uh, launched my own podcast and I've been releasing some episodes with that. So, uh, it, it's been a busy time. And, and of course, I'm a father. So I've got my daughter with me, uh, much of the time. So it's been busy. Uh, and, uh, I think that's been helpful during this, um, you know, strange time we're in. Yes. And we're going to be doing our UFC 249 post show live this Saturday night. What does that mean? Well, we will. Bring everyone up to speed at the end of the show uh, about uh, a whole evening of of post-related activity led by Phil Chair Talk. So uh, stay tuned for all of that. I and guess Eric Marcotte. Eric Marcotte will be, be – he will be yes, part of this as well. Yes. So let's start off with kind of just your overall thoughts going into this card on Saturday and what your attitude has been towards the UFC – Kind of being at the forefront here of major sports that are going back to events, um, and has that changed greatly from when they were trying to run this card back on April 18th? Okay, so that's a big question. So we're starting when, off with the heavy one questions. <laughs> the uh, Francis Ngannou of uh, of uh, podcast questions. Uh, yeah. Um, so when the this whole isolation uh, quarantine started and businesses were shut down, um, and uh, Dana White was claiming that the UFC was going to operate business as usual, and of course they did have that empty arena event. At, after that, I pretty much tuned out UFC news. Like I was, I just, I couldn't imagine that the UFC was going to have any events. So I, I just, and I didn't want to hear Dana talking. So I, I pretty much did not pay attention to any MMA news. And it, it did, then it finally looked like the Tachi Palace event was going to happen. So I started to pay attention. And I mean, all this while, the reason why I tuned it out was A, I didn't think it was realistic to happen. I didn't feel comfortable with it happening. Then finally the event got canceled and there was sort of like some breath. I didn't even, I knew I didn't have to worry about MMA at all on my mind. Uh, and then it seemed like they were going to make this Florida event happen. I think we talked about it last time I was on the cafe hangout where it, it was clear that 
Florida had given carte blanche to uh, national broadcast sporting events with no audience. Mm-hmm. And the UFC qualified. And so I, you know, correctly predicted that they would have an event there and they have it now. And also at that time, I correctly predicted it. I, I made the caveat that if the work that we're doing at staying in isolation shows better trends, like it seems it has, then that's also more reason for the event to take place. And, and so, yeah, it's come to fruition. Um, I, I, it, it's, I wouldn't lie. I would be lying if I said it didn't make me feel uncomfortable, but I'd also be lying if I didn't say I'm looking forward to it. I think that's where a lot of people probably sit that they're looking forward to this card. There's definitely, I think, um, uh, a desire to, to watch a, a great fight card while still having the, the concerns that I think have somewhat, like, I just get the sense from the, the overall, um, fan base at large that they're looking at this event that, okay, we are all tired of being in this status quo day after day. And if this, goes without a hitch this weekend does this start to open the door for other leagues and other things to start to be uh, opening up again so i think people are looking at this with an optimism that this goes well while at the same time realizing the risks that are involved and you know combating that it's not like you can say the ufc in one sense you if you want to argue that this is being reckless you can make that argument but they are not just like the, the preventive measures that they are putting in place they are significant and they are spending a ton of money. Um, there is COVID-19 testing. That's not perfect, but nonetheless, it's just hearing about all the things that they are planning in place. The U- if, if you're going to be running an event, I think you can look at the UFC that they are at least, uh, going to some extremes here to try and mitigate whatever, uh, potential risk there is. Yeah. Um, two points on that. I, I definitely think that, um, this is going to be, uh, if this event is successful, uh, we're going to hear about other sports leagues potentially coming up with plans to start up. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of criticism levied at Dana White and the UFC for trying to make these events go on. And it's, I think it's understandable, but I think it's, it's a little bit misguided when it's play, when we, we frame it as like, it's just greed. You know, they just want, money or, or something where, you know, these companies have a lot of employees and it, it's not so simple to simply say it's, it, it's an issue of dollars and cents. So, but, um, you know, but there is an element of ego involved, I think is fair to say. And, uh, you bet your butt that those NBA owners, those NFL owners, those MLB owners, they, uh, have big egos. And they do want to get paid, and there's a lot of money involved. And so I think if this event goes well, we're going to see an acceleration in other sports appearing on television soon. In terms of the actual fights, like this is a a fantastic card on paper. Do you think that we're going to see, you know, um, a wide range of performances this Saturday in the idea that these are really parsed down training camps that these fighters have had to go through through these unusual circumstances to say the least and i mean even fast forwarding to the weigh-ins this friday are you expecting any hiccups because this is pretty unprecedented when it comes to these fighters at this caliber uh preparing for these fights we have two championship fights on saturday and 
I'm sure each has quite a quite the story of how their camp came together and the preparation for these fights. Yeah, I, I definitely am interested in the idea of the training camps, uh, finding out what has been transpiring, how these athletes have prepared physically. Uh, there was a little bit of a glimpse in this week's uh, Embedded, the only uh, episode that they've released so far. I don't know if you got a chance to see it. I did. But yeah, so they showed a little bit of Nganu's training, and they said he, he really only had one uh, – Tr- sparring partner, uh, one training partner, which was, uh, Blagoy Ivanov, another UFC heavy- heavyweight. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how other, uh, fighters have prepared. Uh, in regards to the weight cutting, I'm not as, now I'm not so concerned about that because really weight cutting is about diet and running. So I, I don't think that there should be anything preventing fighters from making weight, but uh, having the endurance for three hard rounds or five hard rounds mm-hmm. in the two title fights, that is another question. Um, it, it, it's hard to say. Um, now, if we do get diminished performances, at least it's fair. Like everybody's has to deal with these circumstances. So yeah, I mean, it it was though brought up like in embedded, like just everyone is going to have different circumstances too. And Justin Gaethje pointed out, you know, Tony Ferguson has his own gym that he has at his disposal. Uh, Gaethje doesn't have that same luxury, so it's it's all these X factors that you don't know what the, uh, we are going to see on, on Saturday. And you as well look at just what is this card going to look like Saturday from like an aesthetic standpoint? Are we going to see the idea that was floated out there by Daniel Cormier that the announcers are going to be at separate parts? They're not going to be seated together. Uh, what is the in-between of the fights? Is there going to be any kind of protocol in place of what they're going to be doing with the mat and the canvas after each fight? Uh, all these questions about how this gets pulled off that as interested as I am in the fights, I'm also interested in the actual production of this card on Saturday. Absolutely. I feel like the on-screen presentation will not really show too much of that. I, I think it will resemble a typical UFC event or the last event that we saw, which was in an empty arena. Um, now they did show you some of the production during that embedded that we already talked about. And that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and it is part of the story of this card. So I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe a, a video package on some of the precautions or not just the precautions, but the challenges that they've had to face. So I could see them incorporating it in that regard, but I'd be surprised if we see too much different in the on screen presentation. You know, some people have compared that this is the most loaded card since UFC 200. And on that night, it was such a significant occasion that they introduced the dubstep version of Face the Pain. Could this be such an occasion that we get a new version from STEM, Face Mask the Pain? Well, I mean, since now we're in quarantine and their tour, their incredible world tour has been canceled, uh, they hopefully will have found time in their busy schedules to do something new for us. We can only hope. So the undercard here, um, we'll, we'll just spend a, a few minutes here. Uh, it's the featured prelim bout is going to be Donald Cerrone versus Anthony Pettis. This is on the prelims, folks. Uh, Alexei Olenek versus Fabrizio Verdum, who's has not fought in two years. Carla Sparza taking on Michelle Watterson. Jacques Ray Souza is coming back to middleweight after his uh, – 
unsuccessful move up to light heavyweight, taking on Uriah Hall, who's been living in the Fortis MMA gym in Texas. And then the Fight Pass prelims, which will also be on ESPN Plus in the States. Vicente Luque versus Nico Price, Bryce Mitchell versus Charles Rosa, and Ryan, Sp- Ryan Spann versus Smiling Sam Alvey. Yeah, I mean, that's a card that's strong enough to be in, to be under, um, a title fight for an entire pay per view. This is a solid a- fight night card. What's exactly. going to be airing yeah. on ESPN? I would say above what you'd typically get on a fight night card. Yeah. I mean, really, all, any four of those prelim cards could be a fight night main event or co-main event ish. Certainly the welterweight fight is definitely a main event, fight night main event, uh, caliber uh yeah it's it's uh it's a very stacked card and uh that is part of the reason why i'm looking forward to it what are your um questions about donald cerrone this is the first time we'll have seen him since the conor mcgregor loss he's kept a very low profile uh outside of doing an interview last week since that loss to mcgregor and he's taking on a guy in anthony pettis who's I mean, inconsistency has been his consistency in the ufc and he himself is coming off of you know, two losses and bouncing back up to welterweight once again. It seems that Anthony Pettis, he has just not been able to make – this is a guy that has fluctuated all the way down to featherweight and now bouncing back up to welterweight. Yeah, it's it's a difficult spot that both of them are in. Um, in regards to Pettis, I mean, he has had such a tremendously difficult schedule throughout his career. And uh, it was – I think – we can all agree it was a misguided move to go down to featherweight. Um, but even with those, you know, some tough losses, he has had success in the last few years. Uh, he did have a big win over, uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and, uh, he is in very exciting fights. Um, but he does need a win. Now he already has a win over Cowboy Cerrone. Um, and Cowboy, you asked me sort of like, what are the questions? I don't really have any questions for Cerrone. It's it's really just okay. Are we going to get a good Cerrone or are we going to get a bad Cerrone? And well, it's a non-title fight, so that is in his favor. Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. It's not the main event. Uh, not all eyes are on him, so maybe he'll have a better performance than last time. But I think the book is out really on Cerrone on what he can do, what his you know his uppermost limit is. Um, and so all I can hope for now is that he's able to give us some entertaining fights. Yeah, I think this is going to be the fight that ultimately the the next, uh, you know, probably the final chapter of Sony, Cerrone's career is going to give us the direction of which way it's going to go. Um, I don't for a second believe we're looking at uh, Donald Cerrone uh, calling it a day with a loss here. But I think a loss to Anthony Pettis. Donald Cerrone kind of is at a certain level that he can be placed in certain fights, but I would say the days of, you know, main events, even on free TV specials, maybe those days have come to an end. But conversely, a win here, and I mean, it's it's kind of been this pattern with Donald Cerrone. He builds and builds and builds, loses the big fight, and then rebuilds, but it's the question of does he have another one of those kinds of rebuilding runs left in his career now that the age is getting up there. Yeah. And, and at what division too, right? I mean, he's been competing a lot at welterweight. He's an undersized welterweight. Um, at what he seems to have some tough time making 155, although he doesn't really look too different 
from 155 to 170, which is interesting. Um, but he's, he's been, he's pretty much fought everybody at the top and more often than not, it hasn't gone his way. And so it's really a lot of up and it's, it's really to feed up and comers to him and see what happens. Could he headline another fight night? Yeah. Win over Anthony Pettis could put him in that direction, but I, I just don't see him getting anywhere near a title shot. What's really nuts about the Anthony Pettis career and that the, you know, 500 or so record that he's had in the UFC will not detail is like you look at the guys this individual has fought in the UFC and there have been zero gimmies for Anthony Pettis. This is as deep a list of opponents as you're going to find. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at his last fight in the WEC was against Benson Henderson. His first fight in the UFC was against Clay Guida, which was a loss uh, decision. And, you know, no joke at that time, Clay Guida. And since then, yeah, absolutely killers, champions. Uh, he's fought guys with very few losses on their record, uh, savage type fighters. And um, if, if I mean, if you could look at the ELO rating of fighters, he probably has fought the highest degree of opponent. Um but, uh, you know, he, he's come up short in a lot of big fights and, uh, he's in a really tough place in his career. I think Cerrone is a good opponent for him because he's already got a win over him. But he's sort of in this realm where it's really hard for me to imagine him challenging for a title. And so I'm not really quite sure what you do with him. On to the main card. It's going to feature Greg Hardy taking on Jorgen De Castro as the Greg Hardy experiment continues here. And, uh, they have found a card, Phil, where Greg Hardy and his history, uh, has been over, o- overlooked and, and moved on from. Uh, I guess this card, Greg Hardy, it's, uh, this, this is as under the radar as a Greg Hardy fight has fallen during his UFC tenure. Yes, I feel the last one as well, it kind of evaporated because he took that fight on short notice. And so half of the story was him taking the fight on short notice and it being a, you know, clearly his toughest fight in the UFC. And then the story coming out of it was, yeah, he didn't win, but he showed, you know, he was tough enough to last against a guy like Volkov who's uh, experienced. So yeah, I do think that the sort of, while his past will never escape him. I, I don't think it's going to come up much more in his UFC career unless he maybe gets a title shot. Will his, uh, will his, um, inhaler es- mm. escape, uh, this weekend after the, uh, the Ben Sassoli fight that we had last October? Uh, we'll, f- <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, as long as it's, it's sterilized, uh, and he doesn't bring it into the octagon. It's all good. He's allowed to have it uh, during fight week. Uh, Jeremy Stevens taking on a... Cal- Although, hold on a second. Oh, do, do you have just, some, some deep analysis no, on Jorgen DeCastro? Well, it's not so much Jorgen DeCastro, but regarding Greg Hardy and Inhaler Gate, because, you know, as we might recall, the Inhaler was USADA approved. And what's going on with USADA? I mean, is there, is it happening? Is there USADA testing? Yeah, the, USADA? U- USADA said that there is going to be testing. Okay. Well, I mean, as we know, USADA is out of competition testing along with in competition testing. So, 
And as we know through the history of MMA, in-competition testing is really just an intelligence test. So I, 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 I'd like to know, has there not been any USADA out of competition testing for these fighters? Has there been? What's the status of that? Yeah, I mean, they, they had stated earlier in the pandemic that they were still going to be, uh, going to certain lengths to continue testing, but, uh, we, we haven't really well, heard I, any I, I, firsthand accounts of fighters of like what I'm going to challenge is. that because the, the statement, I believe, was we will do the best that we can. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, the best that you can is nothing because everything's on lockdown. How are you going to, right? So it, it just F- sort Phil, of Phil, they're shooting embedded. What, what do you, who, what do you mean they're shooting embedded? They're I'm UFC? telling you like they're, they're shooting embedded. So if, if we're talking about, um, you know, what, what things are essential right now and, and what are not, I don't know if that's necessarily the, uh, the clearest distinction right now. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't discount that USADA has been doing testing throughout this this period. Well, I mean, I would love to hear from fighters who who have said that they've been tested. I, I mean, I just I and I would say that Dana White's been evasive with the questions as well. So I I I, I, I don't know. Anyways, I don't have any evidence, so let's maybe we should just move on. Uh, this is from Jeff Nowitzki on Tuesday. Uh, from, never so yesterday. Ca- uh, yesterday, yes. Uh, okay. Although testing numbers have decreased with mission critical directive, we have seen multiple out of competition samples collected over the last few days, and USADA will have a testing presence at the Florida events. Few days. Uh, right. Collected over right. the last few days, yes. Yeah, right. So, like the language suggests that they haven't really been testing, and I'm not saying I'm not criticizing them for not testing. It's a it's a pandemic. You can't travel. It's very difficult. But let's 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 call a spade a spade here, right? And USADA testing is purely voluntary by the UFC, right? Like it's not like they're they're forced this by the Athletic Commission of Florida, so they can be honest about it. Easier said than done, I suppose. Uh, let's, let's move on here to, we've got Jeremy Stevens against, uh, Calvin Cater and then Francis Ngannou against Jarzinho Rosenstruck. And this is a kind of an interesting heavyweight fight being that it's, it's a mess right now with the, t- the title division where Daniel Cormier is ready to fight. And Stipe Miocic has stated a few times that he's, you know, he is a firefighter right now he's involved in a lot of like the the frontline work he's not even considering fighting at the moment because he knows he can't put a meaningful training camp together given the the limitations and i think that if you're a champion uh you have less need to fight now and it's a lot more of a risk for you if you're the champion to be putting yourself at at a limited capacity in these fights. So we don't know when this title fight is going to be happening and for fighters like Francis Ngannou and Jarzinho Rosenstruck your win could ultimately just be simply keeping you busy and doesn't I, I I don't guarantee that the winner of this is fighting for a title anytime soon because they're still going to be at best uh second in line. Yeah, it, it does seem like uh as uh Stipe indicated yesterday with his interview on ESPN that uh he's not gonna be able to fight until he gets a proper training camp. His estimation of that is late fall. He's not on Daniel Cormier's timeline. He's not on anybody's timeline. Um, now, Brett Akimoto did insinuate that potentially the UFC might have their own timeline and they might want to move on at some point. 
So if that's the case, then maybe Francis Ngannou or uh, Rosenstrike are fighting for a title if uh, that's the direction that the UFC chooses to go. Do you think it should have been an interim title fight in, in this situation? Or do you feel that the momentum was moving in the direction of a Cormier-Miocic fight that that was unnecessary here? Because this would be the fight. If you were going to go the interim route, not knowing when Stipe is returning, this is the fight to do it in, obviously. Yeah, I, I think the UFC is sort of going, it seems like they're in a month by month situation right now anyway. So it's a little bit difficult to figure out for them if they're going to even like what a card in August could even resemble mm-hmm. when they don't have a card in June. Like what's the paper? Like, yeah, there's the paper. They don't have a main event for the June card. They don't have a main event for their May 23rd card. That's like two weeks away. So, um, so I, I think it's okay to not have this be an interim title fight. Um, but, um, maybe the next one is. And then the two championship fights. Of course, this was the card that was going to feature Amanda Nunez and Felicia Spencer, but Amanda Nunez, similar position that Stipe Miocic has given that, you know, she, ATT was available to her, but it was such a small, number of training partners that she just didn't feel now was the time that she could uh, prepare adequately. And, you know, she's targeting June to hopefully fight. So it's not like she's got this indefinite period. She's not fighting. Uh, It just wasn't going to happen on this card, nor was this one that I I think you needed that extra title fight either. So uh, we have Dominic Cruz and Henry Cejudo for the Bantamweight Championship. Uh, I guess some people were uh, looking at Dominic Cruz as really jump in the line here, but it's nonetheless a very intriguing fight, not the least of which is we have not seen Dominic Cruz fight in over three years. Uh, what did you think about Dominic Cruz getting the nod to challenge for Cejudo's title? I think it was, I was perfectly fine with it. I mean, under normal circumstances, it's not the worst option. And under these circumstances, it's, it's like, I don't want to say it's great because the event is controversial, but it's an awesome fight. And Dominic Cruz is a legend. Henry Cejudo has wanted to fight Dominic Cruz. The fact that he's even able to come back, I think is awesome. And it adds so much intrigue. So I I love it. Now, is he jumping over well-deserving contenders like Jose Aldo? Maybe. No, but well well deserving contenders. I don't know if Jose Aldo's my example of the, the people that are uh, the I, I agreed was just, parties here. Mr. Owen I, won. I was just trying to see if you were paying attention, John. Well, there you go. <laughs> so anyway, I'm I'm happy. It's real it's actually the fight I'm most intrigued about on the card. A Henry Cejudo has looked amazing. Cruz is a legend. He's been off so long. He looked incredible the last time he came back. So, um, what, what a story yeah, if I, he wins this fight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he would establish himself clearly as the best bantamweight ever, which I think he already sort of is. Um, but it would be with beyond a shadow of a doubt. If he wins this fight, he has always been the one that has been so adamant. Ring rust is not a real thing. This will be, that will be. The first line on this guy's bio, if he wins this fight, will be, it'll just be the quotations. Ring rust was never a real thing. Dominic Cruz's career proved this. This would be more impressive than his first comeback when he won the title. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, if he'd been active and had fought at his highest level, I would favor him in this fight. 
because I think stylistically it favors him. But it's just there's so many unknowns because of the layoff and, of course, now because of this uh, pandemic. And Cejudo himself is coming off of uh, a long layoff, too. So th- there's questions there. Uh, but he's been so impressive in his last few fights uh, during, you know, earning this Triple C moniker that uh, I'm really curious to see uh, what uh, he's going to bring. I think Henry Cejudo, like this, is, it very much can be an enormous fight for him as well because like you said it's been it's been 11 months since we last saw him and i think that like let's go back the marlon marias fight happens in june of last year he's on his way to fighter of the year and then you know he just didn't fight again that year and we kind of moved on from that win uh more importantly the tj dillashaw win and prior to that demetrius johnson like he was on a really incredible run and you know, a win over Dominic Cruz, I think it it reinserts Henry Cejudo among the conversation of the top fighters in the sport. I'm favoring Henry Cejudo in this fight, but I'm equally intrigued by Dominic Cruz, who if there's anyone that's going to have that that game plan to solve Cejudo, I favor a Dominic Cruz, even with the the long layoff. But it has been three years, and we that last impression of Dominic Cruz was a guy in Cody Garbrandt that did figure out the riddle of Dominic Cruz. Like that was a masterful performance by Cody Garbrandt. Yes, uh, absolutely. So, um, but it'll be curious, you know, Dominic Cruz being a a master game plan artist himself knows what happened in that fight, knows that Henry Cejudo will probably try to draw on that. So I wouldn't be surprised if he has a few tricks up his sleeve to exploit uh, people looking for that angle of attack. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm really interested in this fight, um, as, as much as any other fight on, on this card. And uh, Dominic Cruz, like, if you're looking at uh, a story coming out of this, I mean, Dominic Cruz is the one that stands to have, um, you know, it, it's like sliding doors where a win, it's this unbelievable story and a loss. You really have to question, like, what is next for Dominic Cruz if he's looking at the prospect of going to the back of the line at bantamweight and getting this this title fight um now in his career so it's a big risk big reward i think for i think it's it's championship or bust really for Cruz. that's what right? it feels like, like. i mean like it's a, why, it's a long road he? back to a title fight if he does not come out with a win on saturday and and it's not even worth it even if he like i mean i don't want to say it's not worth it but like it's just he he's just seen as such an elite fighter he's been in championship fights for so long the only one that wasn't was the mizugaki fight but that was like a comeback fight so it's still a big deal and um it just i just couldn't see him fighting somebody you know you know at the bottom of the top 10 or whatever it it just doesn't seem to make sense to me even though there are exciting fights for him like against mirage against uh, a rematch against dillashaw when he returns a rematch against garbrandt potentially so well, Gar- Garbrandt has that that next fight at bantamweight, and then he's talking about going down to flyweight, which sounds insane. Oh, that's right. That yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that just sounds. Um, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Main event: Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje for the interim lightweight title. Uh, it's a spectacular main event on paper, and Tony Ferguson has prepared for this fight by uh, cutting weight ahead of time, uh, just because he could. Yeah, he's like. Uh, I, I I hope this doesn't get taken the wrong way um, because of his history. But really, I feel like all of Tony's battles are in his mind. Like he creates these 
um, situations that he has to overcome that are even greater than the fight. And that allows him to perform so well in these fights. And, and, you know, the mindset to struggle and to cut weight for somebody who's one of the biggest lightweights in the division, it's, it's really all about mental warfare at that point. I, I'm certainly favoring Tony Ferguson in this fight. Uh, how, how long do you think this, this one goes? And, you know, conditioning wise, uh, what do you expect out of Justin Gaethje? It's, it's not the case of him. Fighting April 18th, where he was talking about, you know, under two weeks to prepare. Uh, he's had a bit longer, but that said, like, Tony Ferguson has been preparing to fight in this relative period for months now when that Nurmagomedov fight was first announced. And that can either be a blessing or a curse for a guy that has been, you know, if, if you tell me Tony Ferguson is overtrained, I am not going to be arguing, uh, against that point because I could very well see that being uh, a factor. I'm going to argue against Tony Ferguson overtraining because Tony Ferguson's been overtraining his entire career. The things that he does in preparation for his fights are absolutely insane. They're, they're not comparable to any other fighter or athlete that I've seen. Um, I'm, I'm really expecting, I'm favoring Tony Ferguson. Uh, yes, Gaethje's had a little bit more time since the, uh, April, uh, date to prepare, but I don't think it's enough considering that Tony Ferguson is a fighter whose output increases as a fight goes on. And Gaethje, although he's, he's improved in ways throughout the years and has gotten smarter in his last few fights, he's shown that he can dip. He, he will dip as the fight goes along. We saw that against Alvarez and Poirier. And, um, although he's improved, Unless he's able to connect in the earlier rounds and just completely end it, I, I think I'd see Tony Ferguson overwhelming him as he's overwhelmed so many fighters throughout the years. Yeah, I think Justin Gaethje coming out and, you know, I, I would say that the fight to look at is when Tony Ferguson fought Lando Venata and that opening round. I think that's Justin Gaethje's best route to surprising Tony Ferguson. Um, I just, I just cannot see him finishing Tony Ferguson. That even if he lands uh, a big bomb on Ferguson, I think that it will be not enough to put Tony Ferguson away. And I just think with each ensuing round, this is going to be more and more Tony Ferguson's fight to dictate. Um, but I think however long it lasts, this should be fireworks for that period of time. I, I don't, I don't imagine this one getting, I'm going to say early third round. Yeah, yeah, I think I think late second, early third. That's that's kind of what 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 I see happening. It's just you know it, it's re- I what I see is all the fireworks we imagine, and then it just the teeter tartar or the whatever you want to call it seesaw tips in one favor. Um, it's 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 a great card, and then they're coming back with shows on Wednesday and Saturday. I think it's safe to say, like, there's going to be a big demand this Saturday. I expect ESPN to do a phenomenal number for those prelims. Um, it'll be curious if we get any kind of indication from ESPN how this pay-per-view does. Um, this week when Disney held their uh, earnings call, they gave the updated subscriber numbers. ESPN Plus is now – it now has 7.9 million subscribers. Um, do, do you see this being um, a successful pay-per-view for the company, given this pandemic that's going on, is that a plus or is this with 
the economy in shambles, um, a tougher time to do a pay-per-view. I think it's a, it's, I think this event will do well. Now, I think with the economy, the economic situation, I, I don't think we've even really realized it yet. Like people just sort of lost their jobs. I think the real economic impact is going to be felt um, down the line. Now, that's not to say that people aren't concerned about their their spending habits, but they've also been not spending on things like concerts, travel, um, UFC pay-per-views. Uh, but at the same time, it seems like the world has also moved on from, you know, destination television. I, maybe people are doing other things at nighttime, playing games, reading books, you know, talking with their family. Um but I think that the undercard is so good on this one that people will turn to ESPN and by the time that 10 p.m. hour hits and it switches over, I've got a feeling that a lot of people are, are going to buy this pay-per-view. Now, I don't know if we're going to see that translate to the other events, which don't have as strong of a card. Yeah, I think that we're going to see – Similar pattern that we have seen with, with, with WWE and uh, to, to an extent AEW as well, where that first week of the empty arena shows, um, th- there was a lot of interest, a lot of just the novelty of it. Uh, you couple that with like a, an incredible card that UFC is putting out. I think this is going to be a big success viewership wise on Saturday. The Wednesday and Saturday cards, I'm more uh, unsure of what what the response is going to be like for those shows. I think if you're just relying on people want fights, they want entertainment now, I'm I'm less sold on that argument. I think it comes down to uh, how much people are going to be wanting to watching these uh, empty arena shows. And those two cards inevitably are a come down from what Saturday is, which is as, as deep a card as they're going to have this year. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think this event looks to be successful. Uh, all indicators are pointing that way, but uh, we'll see what the future holds. I mean, they've got two events scheduled. They're meh cards. And then they're supposed to have some more events that we don't even have main events or even any fights for. So, But the UFC is back. That is Dana White's uh, message. We're back. We're back as of this Saturday. Dana White well, has, has fixed the problems. <laughs> All of them. Well, look, they are they are putting on fights. It's a twelve fight card. Uh, the next two events are ten fight cards, so they're actually reduced a little bit. Um, fighters are getting paid. I'm happy about that. Uh, production staff is getting paid. I'm happy about that. Um, people are getting some relief during these stressful times. I'm happy about that, but uh, that doesn't mean it's not without discomfort. Uh, before we wrap up here. Have you been watching any of The Last Dance, Phil? I know you're a big basketball fan. Oh, my gosh. I have been – I just absolutely in love with The Last Dance, being transported to my youth. My my, It just brings back so many memories watching Michael Jordan, of course, who I idolized as a kid. And, you know, also reminding me of – uh, when Isaiah Thomas jumped out of a giant dinosaur to announce uh, the launch of the Toronto Raptors. And uh, yeah, it brought me back to such a great time and uh, reminded me of how great he really was. I mean, I've been somebody who's been always saying that I saw him as the greatest of all time, despite LeBron and Kobe's amazing achievements. And uh, I think this uh, series has reminded uh 
people of that. And hopefully it's given uh, insight for new basketball fans, you know, people who never got to see Michael, for them to really understand what made him so great. Yeah, I think it's um Michael Jordan just comes off so captivating in the in this whole series so far. Uh but so do a lot of the supporting cast in in the documentary series. I I've loved all the stuff with Isaiah Thomas. I think it's just been fascinating. Uh I can't get enough of Phil Jackson in this series as well and uh yeah, with uh with four episodes left, like I I've just been totally engrossed in this and have I I think it's like rekindled my my love of basketball because I, w- I was just such a big fan during like this, this era from the, the Raptors expansion year onward through like 2001. Uh, I just was such a huge basketball fan. And that's one thing that this series has certainly, uh, brought back to me. Yeah. Uh, and I think it will be interesting to see, uh, you know, when the NBA resumes, I have no doubt that the top players are going to draw inspiration from this. I mean, LeBron is already on a path where it's not inconceivable that he becomes regarded as the greatest of all time if he's able to do some things. And then there's new fantastic players, uh, Giannis. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name because I'll, I'll destroy it, but everybody knows Giannis on the Bucks. And, you know, he tweeted about how what he learned from this is that Excellence is a lifelong pursuit. And if, if, you know, if he as a draw, as a young player truly embraces that idea, it, it's amazing to imagine what that could lead to in his career. So I think the series is amazing. I can't wait to see what it does for, uh, current NBA players. Hopefully we're able to get, uh, we're, we're able to return to a time where fans can, uh, enjoy the games as well. Yeah. I just, I love watching, like, the theme of this documentary to me, it's getting to see inside the mind of greatness. And you get to see the good and the bad of what equals the greatest of all time. And it's not always, like, Michael Jordan, there's there's plenty that you could look at and say, you know, uh, label this guy a bully or that he had uh, an, an obsession. And there, there's, there's good points, there's bad points, but this is the ultimate be-all, end-all is the results. Like, th- this guy was driven by producing results, and now you kind of get to see the making of that and kind of come to your own distinction of what the what what leads to that and how it affects those around him as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's a, it's a portrait in greatness inside the mind of, of greatness, and uh, which is, you know... It's one thing to say greatness, but he was amongst other greats. Mm-hmm. You know, he was amongst players like Bird and Magic and he eclipsed them. And then new players entered the league or he played at the same time as, as other greats. We saw about like Clyde Drexler and Carl Malone, John Stockton, Charles Barkley, just so many great players that he excelled over. And, uh, my biggest memory of watching him was just the overall feeling that as the games were winding down you just now maybe i was a kid so maybe i was naive but you just knew he was going to take over and find ways to win it, it, it was just like you weren't surprised that he won these games even with miraculous last second shot do you remember the famous game where the raptors beat the bulls that first year absolutely like yeah. it's one of the most famous games in raptors history and the final second, of course, it's Jordan has the ball. And if you remember, he goes to shoot the three and time expires. The ball goes in 
it's like yeah. even watching that, I was like, Michael Jordan didn't lose the game. The clock beat the Bulls. Like he hits the shot and it was just right. like he didn't even like like it wasn't even like the buzzer beater that doesn't go in. It's like it did go in. It's just the time elapsed like a second before he got the shot off. And it's still among my my favorite NBA games because at that time that was as good as an NBA championship for that Toronto Raptors team because that was the peak they were not going to overdo that result uh, in that time period they were not sniffing the playoffs much less succeeding in them no yeah I mean there's so many great memories from that period with you know for us uh, growing up in Toronto with I mean, it was great to see the Bulls and the rise of the NBA. I mean, the NBA exploded, uh, as the, the documentary touches with, especially with the arrival of the dream team. Um, and then, and yeah, and then Toronto, we had an, we had an NBA team in Toronto. The announcement of the Raptors Canada had a second NBA team for a brief amount of time, the Vancouver Grizzlies. And, uh, yeah, it was just a really great time to be a basketball fan. Um, it was it was just really fun time and and it's my I talk about this in MMA like who my favorites are who, who I cheer for and maybe you want to call me a front runner or whatever but I really love greatness like my brother he he contacted me and he was he we were talking about Tom Brady going to the Bucks and I, I I've been a fan of the Patriots and Brady and Belichick through the years they're not my favorite team but he said oh so who are you going to cheer for and I said look I'm going to continue to cheer for Belichick because. I appreciate his level of greatness and I'm going to cheer for Brady because I f- appreciate his level of greatness. So, um, I, I just love seeing the, like this elite excellence. Before we wrap up here, what is happening on Saturday night? The floor is yours, Phil. Oh yeah. So Saturday night on discord, um, from the first fight on the card, uh, all the way to the main event, Eric Marcotte and myself will be um, watching along and commentating and just posting our thoughts, giving predictions. We'll also be chatting with everybody in Discord, uh, interacting, holding polls, uh, just t- goofing off and having a good time as we try to uh, enjoy this bizarre event. Um, on Saturday night. So if you're uh, watching the event, or even if you're not uh, able to watch uh, the pay-per-view portion of the event, um, you can still join us uh, and participate in the conversation and listen to our commentary. And then following the uh, the actual live event, uh, you and I will be recording our usual post show. Um, but what's going to be different about it this time is that uh, I'll be live streaming that as well. So if uh, you tune in to the viewing party and participate on Discord, when it's all over, you can stick around and listen to our fantastic post-fight analysis. So just go to postwrestling.com and there's a button right there for the Discord. Click on that and then tune in uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time when the uh, the fights will begin and you'll be with Eric and Phil all night long. So go check that out. It should be a fun way to watch the fights. And uh, God knows what, what different states Phil will be in and out of uh, throughout this entire Discord <laughs> chat. It's, a, it's an entire different monster when Phil is on the Discord as the, as the, the postmaster. Yes, that's why I've elicited Eric's uh, help. I need to be kept in line because, uh, you know, there's a job to do. There is a post show that needs, uh, you know, a, a little bit of uh, 
you know, concentration. Uh, well, we look forward to that on a Saturday night uh, following the fights. And uh, do let the listeners know about your, your burgeoning new podcast endeavor going through uh, the dark history of video games and what else is on the horizon. Oh, that's uh, – thank you very much for uh, giving me the opportunity to pr- plug that. Yeah, so I've had a few episodes. I've had a uh, clinical psychologist. Um, I've had uh, a partner in an accounting firm, and I've had a professor of video game history talk about a few topics. I do have some coming up uh, in the next couple weeks. I can't announce the actual topics just yet, but uh, it's going to continue to be a variety of different topics. I am still waiting on uh, a response uh, to my call, uh, John. I, like, when can I book you? I mean, it, I feel like you're ignoring me. I haven't been asked. I only can respond. What are you to talking about? I, I asked you the last time we were we were uh, on the show together. You, <laughs> Phil, Phil, I I need the, I need this in writing. Okay, I've got to run it by my team, my people. I mean, they've got to look at your credentials and such. I mean, come on. Uh, I, I, I'm more than happy to uh, to come on in the future. You just uh, name the time and place. Okay, all right. I'll make sure that I I secure that. You know, you're a busy man. I don't want to I don't want to take up too much of your time. No, so, Phil, I always um, have time for for you, of course. Yes, thank you. I haven't, well, I haven't seen any, you in so long. I almost forget what you. I know. Like. I'm glad this oh, is going to be a video stream on on Saturday because I I, f- I forget which one you are between you and Ziggy. I've just uh, confused the two of you now. Oh my goodness! How can you say such a thing? Well, uh, we look forward to speaking with all of you on Saturday night UFC 249 post show coming your way and. Phil, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out and look forward to the Discord on Saturday. Yeah, I look forward to talking to everybody on Discord and looking forward to the fights on Saturday. Thanks, John.